welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 11, What is Truth? with Brad Wilcox. The review for today is from Honey Marie 8. It's entitled, Gimme More, Gimme. For me, life is about human experience and connection. I love hearing another's life story. Julie articulates her feelings and experiences very well. Just wish she'd get episodes posted faster. I'm not one for patiently waiting. Love this podcast. Three exclamation points. You're the best. Today I'm sharing my interview with the one and only Brad Wilcox, who is very well known, especially amidst the Christian culture, for his profound insights into the grace of Jesus Christ and how it can transform our lives. Brad Wilcox and I are both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In the podcast, he's going to refer to his two-year service mission that he went on to Chile, and again when he went as a mission president later in his life. A mission president is someone who goes and manages the many missionaries that are there for their two-year service missions. I know that there are listeners who are from all religions, and I know that there are some listeners who have no religion at all, and I know that there are some that once had religion in their lives and don't anymore. I want you to give this episode a chance, whether you agree with everything that's said here or not. This man is the same everywhere he goes. He was the same as my professor as he was when I interviewed him, and I guarantee he's the same man that goes home at night. He's someone you can learn from about being authentic. And I'm so happy to be able to bring you this special message from my dear friend, the one and only Brad Wilcox. Hi, Brad. Hi. (laughs) We are so excited to be here with Brad Wilcox, and I have to be honest, this is our third time starting to record. We had sound equipment issues, but so (laughs) we're going to say this all like it's the first time. Well, we we didn't get very far into it. I mean, all you did was my intro. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Brad Wilcox is a professor here at BYU. My first impression of you was going to this class and my friend saying, hey, we have this class from Brad Wilcox and he's kind of a big deal. And I was like, oh, well, I've never heard of him. And he came in and he had us sit in a circle and we did this clapping welcome song and you learned all yep, of our first names. I remember names, that. And you did, a, you did a great job of remembering our names. Well, it was uh, something I always tried to do in education classes was to say, we're not going to talk about what you should do in a classroom. We're going to do what you should do. And so did you do that in your own classroom? Yes, I did. Well, First then, see, day of school. Every exactly. Day. Because that way you're learning by doing. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. So just a quick intro, Brad. I got this off your website. It says, Brad Wilcox is a professor at Brigham Young University, where he also enjoys working with such programs as Especially for Youth, Women's Conference, and Campus Education Week. He is the author of the book, The Continuous Atonement, and the BYU devotional, His Grace is Sufficient. He and his wife, Debbie, have four children and six grandchildren. Yeah. Is that up to date? Nope. We've actually got eight now. Eight grandkids. Love them. That's great. And you've also written uh, The Continuous Conversion and Changed by His Grace. Changed through His Grace. Very neat. Very cool. So as I thought about what to talk to Brad Wilcox today with, I know that he has a wealth of knowledge and quite a bit of experience speaking in front of groups, I thought and I prayed a lot about what we should talk about. And what kept coming to my mind is this idea of truth and what is truth. I know for me, there's so much knowledge available in our generation. There's so much on the internet. You can you can pretty much prove anything out there. And I know a lot of people in, in my close circle and that I hear about that are changing their belief systems, believed one thing and then uh, are getting down the road and completely changing what they believe and changing what they believe is true. 
Also, I, as I've become more familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy and done some of that on my own, I have come to find that as you change your thoughts and you change your actions, you really can change what feels true. So especially, I think there's confusion when you are in the midst of something very difficult. It can be very easy to kind of lose your grasp on what is true, what is real. And so today we are going to discuss that. So my first question for you would be, have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever had a time in your life when you wondered what is truth? Well, like you said, Julie, I think whenever times get hard and we're a little out of our comfort zone, then we do start asking that question. I did as a young man on my mission in Chile. You know, it wasn't that I left on my mission without a strong testimony, but when times get hard, when I was in another country, when I was having to learn another language, when I was confronted with the cultural differences that, that I was dealing with every day, when I was dealing with a lot of rejection, suddenly I had to start asking myself, why am I doing this? Why would I even want to do this? But I knew the answer, and that was God wanted me there. God called me there. I was doing this for God. But as you say, sometimes hard situations can force us to question what we know. And that's what happened to me as I started thinking, well, where's God? If I'm here and he called me here, then where the heck is he? And that was the first time in my life that I really kind of started grappling with the idea that, well, where is he? And if he is there, then is he just too busy with everything else he's got going to care about the hard situation I'm in? That night, I decided I'd better talk to Heavenly Father about that. So I crawled up on my top bunk. I always liked the top bunk in Chile because it was closer to heaven and a little farther from the fleas. <laughs> um, but I knelt down on my bunk and I prayed, God, are you there? And suddenly my room was filled with light. And then the car passed. <laughs> and as I laid there on the bed, feeling a little rejected, a little alone, a little confused, because, gosh, I'd reached out to God and all I got was a pair of headlights in the window. Mm -hmm. It was that moment when I think I had to make a decision. Some people in that moment will just say, okay, that proves God's not there. I'm going to be an atheist. Or that proves that God's not there. And so I'm going to do anything I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to throw away all my standards. And who cares anymore? Or you can take that moment of disequilibrium and turn it into motivation to dig a little deeper. I think of a gold miner. You're mining for gold. Well, you're not finding any gold. So you can give up. There's no gold in this mine. Or you can keep digging. And I think that's what I decided to do, was to keep digging, to keep studying, to keep reading, to keep praying, to keep serving others. And finally, I did feel like God answered my prayer. But why didn't he answer it in the moment? Why didn't he just answer it the first moment I said, God, are you there? Why, why didn't he just send an angel instead of a car with headlights? Uh, I can relate to this so much. And I think you have to look back and realize, would I have studied as hard as I studied? Would I have cared as deeply as I cared? Would I have served as sincerely as I served? Would I have prayed as hard as I prayed? I think God was saying, look, it's time you found out for yourself. I'm not going to keep holding your head above the water. You have to learn to swim. 
And so he let me sink a little bit because not because he wasn't there and not because he didn't care, but because he wanted me to know, not just at a surface level, but at a deep level. When I came back from my mission, my knowledge was the same, but it was at a much deeper level. There was so much underneath that that wasn't there before. And I can really relate to that. I feel like for me, actually, the times when I have felt closest to God and when I have felt like I've had his existence in my life the most obviously have been times when I have given everything and even though looking back my faith wasn't even as strong in those moments but it was all the faith that I had and I I had nothing left it was I wanted it so bad for me personally have been the times when I feel like he has most obviously made himself known to me do you think there's such thing as absolute truth are there absolute truths yes I think there is also a thing of as perception and reality. I think people can have different realities. I think they can have different perceptions. But when people start talking truth and they say, oh, you have your truth, I have my truth. As politically correct as that sounds, as non-judgmental as that sounds, as accepting as that sounds, I think we're on some shaky ground there. I read an article once about a man who committed suicide or tried to commit suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Now that thing is like 20 stories above you. I was there recently, it's tall. Water. I mean, I don't know exactly what the distance is, but it's way above the water. And he was one of the very few who survived that. There have been hundreds of people commit suicide by jumping off of that bridge. Mm -hmm. But he was one of the few who survived. So I was interested in his story. And he said he didn't rush out to the center of the Golden Gate Bridge and throw himself over the side in a mad fit of depression. He planned it. Right. He figured this was the only way out of his financial problems. This was the only way out of his uh, marital relationship. This was the only way out of his family problems. And so he planned it. And he said, well, maybe not for anybody else, but for me, this is the right thing. This is the right answer. Right. It may not be for someone else, but for me. And that's how a lot of people in the world think. But when he got out to the center of the Golden Gate Bridge, he dangled himself over the railing and he said, I felt peace. Well, that's not what I would say, hanging myself over that bridge. Right. But he had so convinced himself that this was his truth. But then he lived to tell us what he felt next. He said, I felt peace until my fingers let go of the railing. At that instant, I knew. Did you catch that word? Knew. This was the biggest mistake of my entire existence. He didn't fall to his presumed death saying, Oh, yes, well, for me, this is the right I thing made the to right do. Choice. Yes. He fell to his presumed death knowing things as they really are and things as they really will be. Do people have different realities, different perceptions? Yes, that's obvious. But is there an absolute truth? Yes. And I think that if we're willing to dig enough, if we're willing to search enough, then we can discover the truth. And as Jesus taught, the truth can set us free. How do you personally gauge when you know something is truth for you? Well, a lot of people say that when you're dealing with the realm of religious things, that there is no way to know. Uh, you can only believe or have faith. But I think there really are levels of knowledge. And we can know at different levels. That goes back to my experience as a young missionary. It's not that I didn't know. I just knew at a shallow level. 
where there are some deeper levels of knowledge. I think we can know things from our own experience. Mm -hmm. I think we can know things from our study and from our own research. And I think that we can know as the Spirit of God reaches our spirits. A little child can say, I know God is there. I know he loves me. And he might just be saying words based on his experience. But I can say, I know God is there. I know he loves me. And it's based on a different level of knowledge. It's based on a deeper knowledge, a knowledge of my own experience, but also my own study. And also the spirit that has borne witness to my spirit. And so, yes, I think that we can know. We may know at different levels and in different ways, but I think we're unwise to discount those types of knowledge. When people say, oh, you can't know something spiritually, you can only know it academically. Or when somebody as an academic says, well, you have to know experientially. You can't know through someone else's experience. You have to know it from your own experience. I think everybody argues about what constitutes knowledge, but I think it all constitutes different levels of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Our knowledge of truth is kind of like a gas tank. I mean, you can be full, you can be empty, but there's a lot of levels in between. And most of us don't live our lives on full or empty. We kind of live in between. And when that gas starts going down, then we're expected to refill the tank. And we're expected to continue to seek the experiences, have the study, seek the inspiration to be able to know and to be able to refill that tank. And truth is truth, right? That's what I have to remind myself too is truth isn't loaded and emotional and doesn't have baggage with it it just is so whether you believe that god is there or not he's still there whether you believe he loves you or not he's not waiting for you it just is when i was thinking about this idea for myself of how do i know when something is truth it's hard to explain but there there have been many times when i've heard something or i've even said something and it's almost like it's something that i knew before that i never had verbalized before But it's not something you can explain in words. It's like you said, it's spirit to spirit where I recognize it from a different place. And some people would discount that. Oh, absolutely. But I think the very people who discount that would then have to explain, what is it about seeing a baby that makes me reach out, that makes me automatically care and reach out? Why was there a little baby in the row in front of me in the airplane that kept peeking around at me? And what is it? that drew me to that baby? What is it that draws me to art? What is it that draws me to music? Some people can say, oh, that's too warm fuzzy for me. But the bottom line is, there is a way of knowing through our spirits. Our spirits respond to music. Our spirits respond to art. Our spirits respond to the truths in music and art. Our spirits respond to the innocence of a baby that doesn't have any agenda. Our spirits respond to that. I think we're unwise to completely leave that side off of things. You know, they're finding now in studies with university students that university students are hungry for that. They've had the academic knowledge for so long that they're hungry for a spiritual knowledge. And that's why you have people who say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual because they're hungry for that spiritual knowing. 
And so am I saying that that's all the knowledge there is? No, but it is an aspect of knowing that we, we shouldn't discount so quickly. I love Brene Brown. She says something like, I don't trust people who discount science and I don't trust people who discount spirituality. It has to be both. If you can't believe in the mystery, I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of thought into what you say because I just, I have to have both. Yeah. And I think many people kind of finally come to the conclusion that both are going after the same thing. Absolutely. Both are seeking to know and they're just describing different ways of knowing, but both have the same end. And instead of competing against each other, I found in my life they can actually work together. You can see the other more clearly with both of them. I agree. Someone like myself, I've had a lot of time where I have had to kind of rethink about what do I believe is truth. I've had a lot of things that have challenged what is truth and what truth really means. How can I have compassion for myself through that process and for others during that process? You know, it's easy to beat ourselves up of like, ah, oh, why don't I believe what I was always taught? Or, or why doesn't that people, why are they leaving, you know, the church that we're a part of? Or why are they doing this? How do we have compassion while, while sticking with what we believe? I'll go back to your training in elementary education. I mean, a lot of kids will grab something. They'll go through their mental framework of how they're, composing knowledge in their head and they'll grab something and then they'll just fight to the death about that. My kid came home from school one day and said, the Empire State Building is the tallest building in the world. To which his brother said, uh-uh, stupid idiot. <laughs> now, did that help my son say, my other son, did he say, oh really, older brother, enlighten me? No, he fought. He said, it is too, it says so right in my book. Then his brother says, well, when the heck was the book published? It was published like in the 19-whatevers. I mean, and they're having this big fight. And instead, I mean, there is there an absolute truth? Is there a tallest building in the world? Yes. yes. That's not perception. That's not someone's reality. It just that is. That is, is a truth. Mm -hmm. But as he was saying, the Empire State Building is the tallest building in the world. His older brother would have been so much smarter to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're interested in buildings. That's awesome. But you know what? There's lots of tall buildings. Let's look and see when this was published. Oh my gosh, it was published clear back then. I wonder if there are buildings that have been built since then. Let's take a look on the internet and see if there are buildings that have been built since the Empire State Building. That way, you're allowing somebody to learn and expand his understanding of truth, but in a safe way. And so the same thing we learn as elementary educators, instead of, you know, making fun or teasing someone for what they call a premature schema selection, you know, grabbing something in your head and then saying, this is the way it is, mm -hmm. to be able to validate be able to find common ground and validate the child's belief, but then be able to present additional evidence in a safe environment that will help that kid change or add to his schema, add to what he believes in his mind. That's what we learn to do as teachers, and that's what I think we need to learn as disciples of Christ is not to abandon truth. Oh, there is no such thing as a tall building. Oh my gosh. All my beliefs that there was a tallest building in the world just no longer hold true. I don't think we have to 
abandon what we know, but we can help others come to a fuller, more complete knowledge. But we do that by finding common ground. Oh my gosh, you believe, you're interested in learning more about God? Not many people in the world today are even willing to talk about religion or God. And yet you have an open mind. I admire that so much. Now let me explain to you why I believe that God and Jesus are different beings rather than the same being. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about Jesus' baptism. And even if the goal isn't, oh, I want you to believe as I believe, but the goal may just be, I want you to understand that others can hold other beliefs and have reasons for those. Right. And I want you to understand why I still choose to believe in this. Mm -hmm. And so that way we can come to some understanding in a safe environment rather than always having to turn it into a fight the way my two sons did. Do you have any advice what that would look like for, say, a close family member? That maybe you used to believe the same thing and now you believe different things and you, you love each other and you want to make that work? Yeah. Of how that compassion would work? Because, of course, you care deeply about the choices that that person's making. It may not always be a matter of trying to convince them. Right. It may be a matter of understanding them. Mm -hmm. where they're coming from, where they're getting this idea, what hardships in their life have led them to this, and then hoping that they can understand you. Stephen R. Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's not that you're not going to be understood. Right. It's that you want to understand first. I need to understand first where that little kid's coming from and why he's gotten the idea he's got. Then... I will seek to be understood. Mm -hmm. But first, I need to try to understand where he's coming from and validate that and recognize that he has every right to believe something different than I do. Mm -hmm. But then he also should have the tolerance and the respect that I'm showing in seeking to understand what I believe on the subject. When our family went to New Zealand to direct a study abroad down there, my son kept encountering all the cultural differences. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, Dad, they drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> no, they drive on the left side of the road. Yeah, it's the wrong side. Well, what makes it wrong? Is it because that's not what we do? As if what we do in the United States is always right, and if somebody does something different, it's wrong? See, just to be able to have those conversations and to be able to recognize that we can respect differences and we can even learn from differences, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we have to stop doing what we're doing and accept what everyone else is doing, but we can respect and we can value and we can learn from those differences. What would you say to someone who is struggling to find truth and perhaps even struggling to find purpose in life altogether? You know, I hear that a lot. People talk about how there's nothing out there. This, you know, this is life and you enjoy it and you try and be kind to people, but there's really no end goal. Then why enjoy it? And why be kind to people? See, when we start losing sight of that bigger picture, then pretty soon it's easy to not be kind to people. Some people say, well, it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not, but it does because that big picture changes so many smaller pictures. It does affect the way we interact with each other. It's the way it affects the way we view each other. It affects whether I view someone as someone with potential, 
someone worth investing in or just somebody that's not even worth the time of day. It does affect the way we interact with each other. And so I think those big pictures are very important for us to keep in mind. And that's why I think it's just important to keep digging, keep searching, don't give up. I mean, right now, everybody's kind of on the Titanic and they're saying, this is an unsinkable ship. I read it in a book. This is an unsinkable ship. There's no way the ship's going down. And those people are getting out in a lifeboat. And why would they go to a lifeboat? And so they're enjoying the music and they're enjoying the champagne. But when the ship sinks, when the ship is turned on its end, nobody's saying this is an unsinkable ship. Everybody's saying, where's the lifeboat? Do you realize if you read the actual accounts of the Titanic, not just the movies, the reason that so many went out half full was not because the staff were inexperienced or none of the stuff that's portrayed. If you read the actual accounts, it's because people wouldn't get on. Interesting. The crew members were begging people to get on. And especially the women. Why were there so many men saved when it was supposed to be women and children first? Women wouldn't get on. I'm not getting out there in that cold lifeboat in the cold ocean where it's dark. I'll just stay here where it's nice and safe. Well, we could talk about realities. We could talk about their truth and somebody else's truth. But the bottom line is the ship sank. And the bottom line is everybody wished they'd been in a lifeboat. And so I guess my counsel, my advice would be don't give up searching for those lifeboats. Don't just resign yourself to, okay, the ship's sinking, so I might as well just party until it's over. Yeah trust that there are lifeboats that are worth searching for. There are truths that are worth learning because of what it brings to us personally and because of how it helps us see the entire human race differently. Keep searching. And yes, the search is sometimes hard. It goes back to what I experienced on my mission. It's hard. But a God who expects nothing of us is making nothing of us. Now go back to your elementary education training. If you do it all, the kid doesn't learn anything. The one that does the work does the learning. How many times did you hear me say that in class? Probably a lot. The one who does the work does the learning. So a God who doesn't expect anything of us, a God who makes it easy for us, a God who just is turning earth life into some Ferris wheel ride that we expect with no problems, with no suffering, is not making anything of us. God is trying to make something of us, trying desperately to give us the schooling that we need to become better and to become more like him. When I was on Chile on a second mission as an older man, as I went back as a mission president, we were trying to convince this guy to go to church. And he said, no, he said, I, uh, I, I like to play soccer on Sunday. And I said, well, but don't you love God? And he said a phrase that's very famous, very well known in Chile, a mi manera. Of course I do, but my way. I, I, I love God, but I'll worship him my way. Maybe playing soccer is my way of worshiping God and honoring him. So I don't have to go to church. I'll just do it my way. Mm -hmm. I said, well, may I have your phone number so that we could stay in touch? He says, sure. So he gives me his number. I purposely write down the wrong number. He says six, I write four. And he goes, oh, 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 no, no, no. 
I said six. And I looked at him and I said, I want to do it my way. I want to do it a mi manera. He said, well, then you're not going to reach me. I said, exactly. I said, God has a way for us to reach him. We can't just plug in any number we want and expect the same results. God's already given us his number. We just have to be humble enough to say, maybe thy will is a little more important than my will. Maybe a su manera, your way, needs to take a little precedent over my way. And if we're humble enough to do that, I really firmly believe that God will reveal himself to us. How do I know that? Well, I know it from my personal experience. I know it from years and years of study. And I know it from the spirit that has touched my spirit and assured me that I'm not wasting my time as I try to connect with God and that it's in that connection that all things have deeper significance and deeper meaning. The guy did come to church, by the way. Did. That's so good. It's a good object lesson. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Would you agree with the statement that compassion and connection can help save lives? Yes. Christ's compassion and a connection, covenant relationship with him can save our lives. I like that. I love that aspect of it. Thank you so much thank for being you, here. Thank you, Julie. Keep up the good work. I wish you could have been there to see me as I cried to Brad after this interview. As I cried to him and told him that I am still trying to find truth everywhere I go. And sometimes I feel really sure about what's true, and other times I struggle to understand what's true. But I love what he said. Trust that there are lifeboats worth searching for. There are truths that are worth learning because of what it brings to us personally, but also because of how it helps us see the entire human race differently. Keep searching. I have felt compelled to put in the show notes a link to his BYU devotional that has truly been life-changing for me called His Grace is Sufficient. I have probably listened to this devotional 20 times over the last six or seven years. Give it a shot. Guys, I would just challenge you and challenge myself that if you're unsatisfied with your life, keep searching until you find your lifeboat. I've had moments where I wanted to give up. I've been there. Hang on a little longer. Your lifeboat, it's coming. Don't give up. Next week, we're talking about a subject that is personally dear to my heart, and that is infertility. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you. Mm-hmm.